Before I get into the homily, I, w I just wanted to share something with you. I wrote about this either last year or two years ago, I can't remember, but uh, it was in the bulletin. And so I don't know how many saw it or, or read it because uh, you may remember there was some kind of virus or something. Uh, but two years ago, yesterday, right, the Feast of Guardian Angels, the cranes came to knock down our old church. And as your pastor, I was terrified because uh, that's kind of the point of no return. Yeah, when the old church gets leveled, you're building a new one. And uh, an interesting thing happened that uh, the fellows who were here knocking things down called us over and we had six pillars holding up the church. Uh, what they showed us was they got us to one of the pillars and the guy said, watch this. And he held his hand up and he put his hand right through it. And he wasn't Superman, I checked. Uh, but our pillars had completely rotted. And the roof was just sitting on the walls. Like when they first started, they were like, your church is shorter and wider than it was planned. And I'm like, so am I, you know. Um, <laughs> that was funny. Uh, but it was, guys, it was because our roof was being held up by the walls, which they weren't designed to do. And they said one or two heavy snows, and that thing was coming down. And they found that on the Feast of the Guardian Angels. And I think that was our guardian angel showing off, right? You know, we've been holding this up for a while, uh, that kind of thing. So uh, I just wanted to point that out. And so as a result, when you walk into church, you know all the crosses on the tile, those are, there's a saint medal under each cross because we want the prayers of the saints to be our foundation. On the one when you walk in that door, the first one is the guardian angels medal because we owe them. Yeah. So I wanted to share that with you. Just every time you think of that feast, think of two things. First, it's my dad's birthday, so bring me cookies. Um, he won't eat them. I'm like, yeah, what a shame, dad. <laughs> I will. Um, but second, praise God for our guardian angels, huh? Those guys must have been doing overtime. Uh, so with that now, we get to the point in the Mass where a celibate person talks to you about marriage. You're welcome. Um, and it's, it's tough to do, but on the positive side, every married person in the world knows how I should do my job. Uh, so this should work. <laughs> I'm softening you up with humor because this is about to get real. All right? So. So what we need to do is look up four things for this homily, I think, to help us and to work, okay? Uh, Jesus is in a discussion with the Pharisees, and no kidding, guys, you've got to remember, this is one of those discussions that gets him killed. It literally is. Because he says something so shocking that the disciples ask him about it. Now, let's be clear. He had already said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the disciples are like, yeah, we're in. But when he starts talking about divorce, they're like, pardon? Yeah, could you explain that again? Because you're wrong, Jesus. And how does it unfold? Well, the Pharisees come to Jesus, and I, I don't want to bore you, but just know this. King Herod divorced his wife to marry his brother's wife. And let me just say this. Don't do that, yes? Uh, but he was king, so you weren't allowed to say, don't do that. And that's why they're coming to trick Jesus. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever? What does Jesus ask them? Do you remember? He says, what did Moses command you? 
And then what do they answer? Well, he allowed. Jesus didn't ask them what Moses allowed. He asked them what Moses commanded. In the end, and this I, I read this for, in a book by a guy named James Edwards. Okay? Now, if you're a Pistons fan from the 1980s, not him. A few of you are laughing. Uh, but a scripture scholar, and this is what he wrote. Why did Jesus ask them, what did God command you, whereas they answered what he allowed? Quote, you do not learn to fly an airplane by following the instructions for crashing safely. You will not wage successful war if you train by the rules for retreat. The same is true of marriage and divorce. The exceptional measures that are necessary when a marriage fails are not helpful in discovering what marriage is about. Jesus tries to recover God's will for marriage, not to argue about all the exceptions. Isn't that something? So his point is, what Jesus' answer tells them is, not here's where divorce is permissible, but here's what we're gunning for in marriage. And what he was saying was crazy, make no mistake. He's confronting at this point about 4,000 years of human history where marriage was something very different than you and I are used to. Marriage from the beginning and until the time of Jesus had nothing to do with love. Love was not considered a part of it. And in fact, love was considered kind of a silly thing in marriage. There was a great Roman general named Pompey Magnus who lived about 40 years before Jesus, the most powerful man in Rome for a time. And there's tons of writing out there about him. From his day and age, people writing about Pompey did this, Pompey did that. Pompey crashed the Republic, don't tell anybody. Pompey this and that. But in the end, what is one thing they all comment on that to them was ludicrous? I'm dead serious, look it up. He loved his wife. People just thought that was hysterical. He loved his wife. Marriage had nothing to do with love. It was a means by which a family could be joined to another family in a way that benefits them both and makes humans. And why do you need humans? Well, because there's no retirement. Somebody needs to take care of you when you're no longer capable of working. Marriage was utterly practical and completely endable. Is that a word? Does anyone know? I don't know. Endable. Uh, and that's what they're getting to. How did it work back then? Well, a man at any time, for any reason, could write on a piece of paper, fellas, don't do this. We are no longer married. And then give it to his wife. That's divorce. What reasons was a man allowed to do this for? I can list four of them, right? If he doesn't like her anymore. Yeah, uh, this one's my favorite. If she burns the food. Um, it's the men laughing, isn't it? And it's the ladies getting the elbows ready. Yeah. If he decides he wants to marry someone else. Or if he decides he no longer wants to be married. Namely, for any reason whatsoever. When could the woman divorce? Never. Never. There, the only way a woman could leave a marriage was if she killed her husband and didn't get caught. Yeah? That's it. 
And Jesus does a couple things. First, he says, in a sense, what we believe is that with this began a process where Jesus changes marriage for us. And what is our vision as lovers of Jesus? What for 2,000 years has the church taught marriage is? Marriage is two people entering a covenant, not a contract. Old Testament marriage is a contract. Two people entering a covenant, in a sense, to help each other get to heaven. And how do they do that? Well, they pledge that they will imitate the love of Christ for his bride, the church. Now, I was Catholic-ish for 20-some years. And it wasn't until I was in seminary that I heard what the church considers a foundational thing, namely, Jesus is the groom, we are the bride. That is the primary image of the church that she has held from the beginning. You hear it in the Eucharistic prayers. Whenever the church talks about herself, she says, her. The church is female. God, Jesus, is masculine. Church is feminine. He is the groom. We are the bride. When we have a sacrament of baptism, and again, I always thought, oh, it's water because of cleansing. The word cleansing is never mentioned in baptism. Here's what's mentioned three times. The waters of the womb of Holy Mother Church are the way in which we are reborn. That we take our little squeakers, yeah? And we put them in the water of the womb of Holy Mother Church and they die to the world. They die to the old life and emerge from the womb a new creature in Christ. And he's happy about that. Yeah? We all should be. What great news. That in baptism we die and we rise a new creature, the children of the groom Jesus and the bride, the church. And a married couple says, we're going to do that. We're going to be Jesus the groom and the church the bride. That's the goal of marriage. So to look at how marriage should work, then we look at the love of the groom for his bride. And the church says there's a few elements to it. First of all, it's faithful. Jesus, and, and you got to love a God who flat out says this, right? I'm a jealous God. Right? He's all about you. And he would very much like you to be all about him. And for married people, that's the goal. That I will be obsessed with your need. I will make my existence about your existence. That you are mine, I am yours, and there's no room for anyone else in this covenant. The second thing we say is that it's permanent. That God never leaves the covenant, ever. He will never leave the covenant. When will God leave the covenant? Never. And in the same way, a husband and wife in a covenant relationship are together in it forever. And then the third thing, it makes life. It makes life. Whenever I, uh, like one time, I think I shared this with you, my niece called me, she was having her first baby, her and her husband, and I was over, literally, I can tell you where I was, I was by Trowbridge Road at MSU where Jesus went to school, and I said to her, here's how, love your real, here's how real your love is. 
you and your husband have created something eternal. Inside of you is an eternal creature. That soul will outlast the galaxy. That's how real your love is. When it looks like the love of God, then it makes something eternal because God is eternal. That's the goal. And what if then we are in a marriage where one person won't do that, won't live a covenant, but wants to live a contract? And that's where divorce happens. And it breaks our hearts. Even when you know it's right, it hurts. Because you were doing a covenant and they weren't. This is why people, why does everyone who apply for an annulment get one? A, I'm glad they do. I have to do that paperwork sometimes, yeah? But also because what are the three elements of a covenant? Well, the first one's permanent. If it ends, that means it was a marriage that wasn't sacramental. The first clue the church has that we didn't achieve a sacrament is that there was a divorce. What we strive for in our marriages is that both people are fighting for the covenant, striving for the covenant, and two people becoming one is brutal. People always, oh, Father, thank you for being celibate. Oh, no, I've heard you fight. I'm at peace. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody comes to see a priest when the marriage is going great. Yeah? Nobody comes in, Father, we just want to sit here and tell you how awesome our marriage is. Nobody does that, and rightly so. But I see on some level how hard it is. But I don't think I have any idea. Because Jesus hasn't called me to become totally one with one person. But he's called some of you. And it's so beautiful to me. Because I know there's days where you barely got enough gas in the tank. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a person who has gone through divorce, I am so sorry. And I'm praying that God heal your broken heart and teach you that there is trust to be found again. That there is a way for God to heal those scars so that you can find life and love again. And for those of you who are pining for marriage, waiting for Jesus to say, that one, I'm praying for you too. I'm praying that Jesus help you to be patient and to lovingly wait and to find happiness now, not in a future moment. And for those of you who are married and it's really tough right now, pray. Pray and refuse to give up. Understand that hard times have to happen. I go to a million hospitals, I sit at a million hospital beds, and I see those heart monitors. And I'm here to tell you this, that's life. Flatlines, death. And if you're in an up or a down stage, you know that means you're doing it right, because that's life. And some days you got to carry the weight, and some days the other will carry the weight. But either way, you're doing it together with Jesus as the source of your strength. Whatever your state in life, let's agree that God clearly finds marriage important.
He made it a sacrament. His first public thing was to be at a wedding. Let's pray for those who are married. Pray for those who are longing for marriage. Let's pray for those who have endured divorce. That in and through it all, whatever the situation may be, we all strive to love each other like he loves us. To live this covenant together. And to say, there is nothing we can't endure when two people together agree that in the name of Jesus Christ we will be one. May the love that guides us to this moment strengthen and guide us in our vocations. Amen.